So this morning we are looking at Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Good morning, Ray. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10, and we'll see how far we get today. This might end up being a two-parter, um, but we'll, we'll go with it. So it says this in Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 10, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good morning, Sharon. You know, Ephesians, it, Paul's been talking about, we, we talked yesterday or Friday about sin and death and you know, how that only seeks to point to our need to a savior. And now he turns this corner and begins to show that sin and death, it's the backdrop of God's love and grace and his mercy. Remember on Friday, I kind of ended it with those two words that we first read, but God. But God, it's a pretty big but. It's a huge thing. In fact, our, our next few Sundays are going to be talking a little bit more along that line. So, but God. And, and so here's just some things I wrote down about this as I was thinking. You may feel afraid, but God. You may feel anxious, but God. You may feel discouraged, but God. You may feel grief, but God. You may feel despair, but God, you may feel tossed by the waves of life, but God, you may feel unsure of tomorrow, but God, you may feel failure, but God, you may feel alone, but God, you may feel of no worth, but God, you may feel no one understands, but God, you may feel ignored, but God, and you may feel the whole world is out to get you, but God, it's two words that have so much power in them. It changes our focus on the sin and the death and moves us to understand the whole idea that that's nothing but just a false backdrop. It's that picture, you know, when you go to get your pictures taken at, at a real nice photographer and they put that, they pull down the little sheet behind you and all of a sudden it looks like it's fall or, or you know, some countryside or whatever. It's a fake backdrop to the reality and the truth. But God, God is there in the midst of all of that. You know, Paul is explaining here that God has made us alive. Those of us that are, you know, the spiritually dead, those who, who needed a savior, he's made us alive. And that takes the place of the verse one. You know, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. 
God has raised up those who were held down, those of us who were all held down by servitude to sin. We were servants of our own selfish desires, but God steps in. The separations of sin, or the, 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 the sin, the servitude to sin creates separation from God, and God steps in and makes a way to bring us back into relationship with him. The most important thing God has done for us, what he did for Christ, that Christ was made alive and raised up. And we see that picture and what he does for us as believers, that he makes a way to make us alive once again, not in anything of our own, but in what God does. Good morning, Hugh. And he raises us up. Verse 5 and verse 8, he uses this idea to save. And, and the Greek word to save that's used there is what's called the perfect tense. The perfect tense, which God's plan of salvation is always perfect, right? So he uses this perfect tense. It was that the plan of salvation was accomplished once and for all. It's the now and not yet that his whole redemption and everything in us is now. It happens in us now, and we grow in it for the not yet when it's going to happen once again in heaven or be fulfilled in heaven, if you will. It all happens in Christ. We are raised with Christ. We are raised with him spiritually right now. He is at the right hand of the Father, and therefore we in communion with him are at the right hand of the Father when we pray. Imagine that. We're not just down here trying to send a petition up. You know, there were there were some beliefs in different groups that you had to burn your prayers, incense, right? You had to burn it and let it go up to heaven and waft up. And, you know, it, it creates this separation in our mind between us and God. And yet in Christ, we are in the heavenly realms. In Christ, our spirit is with God in communication at the right hand of the Father. And when we, through the Holy Spirit, are praying, we are in the midst of God. Now, what would that do? Talk about the fear of the Lord, right? And, and you know, just, I don't know, these aren't even in my notes, but you think about uh, um, Isaiah. In the year King Uzziah died, and he has a vision. In the presence of the Lord, see the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe fills the temple. He just has this, this all inspiring vision that then he falls on his face before God and cries out, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people who are unclean. The fear of the Lord. And then God raised him up, right? And we won't go into all of that. We're in Ephesians, not over there, but God has done for us what he did for Christ, that he made us alive and he raises us up into his presence. The cross is that dividing line in a believer's life from our former selves to this new life in and through Christ in the resurrection. When you think about the magnitude of God's mercy and his love and his grace to us, and it's realized when we reflect on the depth of what what we what he did for us, what we deserved in our sin and death, what we should have gotten and what we didn't get, 
what he gave us because of his love and his grace and his mercy. You know, death is separation. It's disillusionment. And he gave us life, which is union. It's growth and development. He uses this term that nations are warring and nations are warring. It's, you know, that even in the church, the church is powerless to evangelize when full of divisions and full of gossip and, and, and even discrimination. We, we are powerless to go out and make a difference in our world when we fall to the sins and death and the patterns of this world. And yet we're made alive in Christ. It's that justification, that atonement, that redemption that happens now, once and for all, now and not yet. We're with him in the heavenly realms, which is that picture of a completed work of union. And he talks about the ages to come. We mentioned that last uh, Friday too, and that's that optimistic anticipation, the, the uh, incubation, if you will, right now in our, towards our inheritance of heaven. You know, grace is a key element in all of Paul's gospels and writings, and especially here, he's talking about grace once again. And grace is that, remember we mentioned, is that unmerited favor. It, it is chased, chased, the unending, undeserving uh, mercy and grace of God. When we realize what we lost because of our sins, we have we don't deserve it we don't we don't deserve it we took god's promises as individuals and our sins and we trample on his promises and yet he is faithful that undeserving unmerited favor that he gives us he erases our sin because of that grace and love, a merciful God. You know, John Wesley talked about two key things when it came to um, the, the works of God and how he works in his grace. And so he, he the works of God through grace, he called them channels and, and expressions. So channels and expressions. So channels are, are the means by which we begin to understand the grace and the expressions are the way God describes or the way God gives us his grace or the way that he, he uh, functionally channels those to us. Uh, um, I shouldn't use that word channels. I don't want to try to confuse the two. So the channels are our, our understanding and the, the expressions are how they function towards us, okay? How the grace functions towards us and how it works. And so he described it in those means. And the channels are, are simply, it's why, you know, as pastors, we talk so much about these. One is prayer. The channel to understand God's grace better is prayer. If we don't understand it, it's because we're not spending enough time on our knees. We're not spending enough time, uh, maybe not physically, but at least uh, emotionally and spiritually on our knees before God crying out, woe is me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean hearts. Woe is me. If it not for the grace of God, 
where would I be? Prayer humbles us. Prayer challenges us. It helps us to understand the grace given to us. Helps us to live in that healthy fear, awe and wonder of the Lord. That's individual prayer, and that's corporate prayer. So I love our church. When prayers happen and people come forward, and it's a new reality we're going to live in. Uh, you know, we'll be praying together, but it may be different. Somebody comes up for anointing, and for a while, it's not going to be a whole group cornering in around them. Um, you know, we'll we'll be doing the old the old uh, holiness way. And if you grew up in holiness churches, you know, it's the whole just reach your hand out. Because we believe that it doesn't have to be touched, but there's something physically that we as human beings get out of touch. That that when somebody is there with their hands on your shoulder, you know they're carrying your burden with you. You know and you feel their love and their grace with you. Good morning, Pat. So prayer, individual and corporate, is a channel. Maybe the first channel, you could say, of understanding God's grace. The second channel is then searching scriptures. It's reading through God's word, hearing it spoken, as well as reading and meditating. You know, I, I find sometimes when I sit and listen. Now, now when, I, when I say hearing it spoken, um, that doesn't mean turn on your Bible app and while you're doing a million other things, you listen to it and not really pay attention to it, just to knock it off your list because, well, you got to do your devotions every morning. No, no, no. Hearing the word is those times where it's not on the screen at church. You're not even reading it, but you're hearing it. Uh, um, maybe hearing it in a new way. I, I remember we, we did the one sermon on the Lord's Prayer, and so instead of reading the Matthew version, I read the Luke version because Luke is so different, just down to the point. And we wanted to hear it differently. We wanted to hear it in a new way that might make a little bit different sense to us. That's what searching the scriptures does, is it begins to reveal to us the heart of God. Because then as we're reading and growing and we learn more and more and more, because none of us ever have a full handle on God. I mean, you, you believe that, right? You understand that, right? None of us will ever have a full, clear understanding and handle on God. That's why theologians over the centuries have continued to think and expound and continue to grow. And Rabbi Zacharias didn't have all the answers. You know, Hank Canegraaff, Bible Answers Man, doesn't have all the answers, but God does. <laughs> You know, you could have seven different theological doctorate degrees and still not fully comprehend everything of God. That's why I love reading what others say, because it's often what they say then will put words to what my heart is trying to cry out. And that's what Scripture does. Scripture helps that, and not only just Scripture, but it's also learning through other means. Now, now here, here let, me, let me say with this, I'm a big reader. You know, you know that. Uh, I love to read. Um, I think I read over 150 books last year. That's just me. I worship God through intellect. I love reading deep theological things. I've got like three books right now on my list 
all on just that word chesed that I want to read. Michael Card's books, a couple others, and and they're just because that's who I am. That's what I want to do. But those are not. Those don't take the place of reading scripture. And I spent 18 years in the Christian bookstore company, and so often I would look at the, the church around me and go, they are spending so much time listening to what other people say about the Bible versus reading the Bible. You've got to read the Word of God first before you start reading what everybody else has to say about the Word of God. Go to the source first. Go to the authority first. Then Go to other people. It's a key part of what we do as believers. And so scriptures can be the works of Dr. Charles Stanley. They, they can be reading through commentaries and doing a Bible study by, you know, you name your favorite author. It, it can be the Adam Clark commentaries. It can be all of those things. But first, first and foremost, you've got to go to the authority. You've got to go to the word of God. And then because you know the word of God, those other means of learning take heart and take hold, right? Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Laura. So we pray. The channels are prayer. The channels are searching the scriptures and the channels are the Lord's Supper. You know, in, in Catholic and in some other more liturgical, they have multiple um, multiple means of grace, multiple um forms of sacraments, right? Multiple um, sacraments. And in our denomination and in our background, you know, we, we really don't put a full number on them because a lot of things can be sacramental to us. And that just means sacred. You know, whereas in some like Catholic, they would say that you're saved through the Eucharist, you know, mass or communion. You're saved through baptism as an infant. You're saved through. And so they have all these different, you know, marriage is a sacrament, all these. And we believe, I mean, you know, while we may not in the church say that marriage is a covenant sacrament, yeah, it is, right? We preach it. We, we talk about it in, in, in sermons and we talk about it in uh, um, when we do weddings and that type of thing. But it's not a saving sacrament. Okay, do you get kind of get that definition? And so for us, we would say that the Eucharist, that Mass or communion, whatever term you want to use for it, that the Eucharist taking of the Lord's Supper, that that is a holy sacrament because it is a saving means of grace. It is by way that we can be saved, by a way that we, we uh, well, that taking it doesn't save us, but it, it works inside of us as a means of grace that God points more and more because when you take it truly, you are humbling yourself before God. You are remembering what he did by his body that was broken and the blood that was poured out. The picture of it's magical. We also, not so much in the Nazarene, but in a lot of the holiness ones, we would say that baptism is a sacrament. Not because it saves you. We don't believe baptism saves you. You don't have to have, be baptized to be saved, but it's an outward expression of an inward grace, is how Jez, uh, John Wesley put it. By taking the Lord's Supper, we are experiencing God's grace, and by baptism, you are doing an outward expression of an inward grace. Because baptism is signifying to all that, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I am dying with him and rising again through the power of the Holy Spirit.
And so the Lord's Supper, along with prayer and searching the scriptures, are ways that God can channel and make known to us. It's You, you could say that the Lord's Supper is one of those thin places. I, I like to use that term. Some For some, I remember as a teen, it was camp. You know, growing up, it was our family camp. Um, still is. Uh, when I was doing my master's degree in Indiana Wesleyan and I had to go on campus, I would stay at my folks' cabin down on our church campground, which was just about 10 minutes from the college. And it still was a sacred place. <laughs> Brought back a lot of memories. You know, one of the first times, not where I was saved, but where I felt the call to ministry as a child, where I felt um, encouraged as a youth. I can remember many of the speakers and the things that they they spoke all on that. It was a thin place. And when I would go to that campus, I would walk around at night, sunset. I would just, so many memories would come back, good memories. Not all good, but it's a lot of good memories that I would just remember. And it just feels like you're so much closer to God there. It's an intentional place because every time I went there, you were there intentionally seeking God because it was church camp. It was youth camp. It was that type of thing. So it was a thin place to me. And and what John Wesley said is that the Lord's Supper should be that for you. It's so holy and so sacred that when we think about it, when we truly know and remember what God did for us, that it should be an intentional time of coming close to God when we take that. So you have the channels and then you have the expressions, the expressions, those function, how the grace functions towards us. And the first means is what we call provenient grace, provenient grace. It's that grace that the Holy Spirit reaches out to us before salvation, that grace that that we begin to say, you know what, this really is kind of a sin. Right? This is really, yeah, it is. You're right, Sharon. Those those campgrounds can be like holy ground. Uh, the campground I grew up on was one of the earliest campgrounds. I, I think it was number four or five in the oldest campgrounds that had a tabernacle type deal. And the tabernacle has not changed except for a little bit on the outside. Still not air conditioned. All of that from the 1800s. It was holy ground when you think about the countless saints who had worshipped there, and you are worshipping in spirit with them. It's a beautiful thing. And so and then the expressions, how grace expresses itself and towards us, functions towards us, is that provenient grace that before we're believers, that it, it nudges us. It, it begins to say, you know what? You know that's not right. It, it begins to add the morals, you know, the right and the wrong. And we begin to say, you know what? I am not living how I need to live. I know I have a need for a Savior. And that's what provenient grace does for us. It convicts us. It helps us to understand our need for a Savior, which then leads to the second, that second expression of grace, which is the saving grace. The saving grace when we begin to understand that I need a Savior and I come to God and say, I don't have it all together. Lord, save me. 
That's that moment when we cry out, that moment where that justification, where that adoption, where the redemption and inheritance, all of that takes place in an instant, in the now and the not yet, because it happens, but we're still learning. It's that initial start of the work of sanctification. And so then that preventing grace and that saving grace leads to the sanctifying grace that works onwardly in our lives and leads us leads us to the point that we surrender you know we can be saved but still not surrender fully to god we can be saved and still not fully let god have complete lordship because we're still trying to to uh, butt cheek it on the chair i've used that on sundays before too right you know we we get up off the throne we let god sit on the throne but then we kind of butt cheek our way back onto the chair because we're kicking him out of the lordship and sanctification is that act of saying, God, I mess it up every time I try to take control. I cannot do it anymore. Take it. All of it. Every bit of it. You know, in fact, in, in, uh, in holiness circles, we often kind of give the description of a house. When you think of a house and when you invite somebody first into your life, you let them into the living room, right? You let them into that first little area that's really, it's kept really, really nice in case somebody comes over, but that's it. They say, hey, can I have a drink of water? You're like, oh yeah, yeah, you stay here. I'll go get it. You don't even let them in the kitchen, right? And then the next time they come in, you you kind of, you might let them into the kitchen. They might be able to get their own water, um, you know, that type of thing, but you don't let them into other rooms, um, you know, you've got that one special bathroom that's always kept immaculate when you know somebody's coming over. Um, and in fact, if they come over, you might send one of the kids in there real quick to clean it because you've got to look good. But then what God does in our lives is he moves, he wants into more of the rooms. And, and eventually as you become more comfortable with him, you say, okay, yep, you can, you can go into the bathroom. You, you can see our other bedrooms. Oh, but don't go into this one because that's the craft room that everything gets shoved into when you know you have company. And, and then it's ultimately, well, it's just this one bedroom you can't be in. And But then maybe he has access to that, but oh, don't go into that closet. That's what sanctification does in us is it peels back the layers where little by little we unlock the doors of these rooms. We say, God, you have free reign. I don't care if you see the junk that's in my closet, because you already do. Why am I trying to hold it back from you? Because you're the master organizer, and you can help me. You can help make it all make sense. In, in humility, we bow. In humility, we surrender everything to his lordship. So prevenient grace, saving grace, sanctifying grace leads to glorification, which is that perfection when we reach heaven. It's the resurrection after physical death where we are fully with Christ, completely redeemed, completely restored, completely justified, atoned, adopted. We've got our inheritance. It's all glory. <laughs> That's what glorification is. Man, I have, uh, I have more I want to talk about on this, and I guess we'll wait until tomorrow. You know, I'll, I'll show with you. I had drawn up. We had done a Sunday where we kind of shared this. If you remember this, this is what we just talked about. You've got the prevenient grace. If you've ever seen this diagram of the two cliffs, good morning, Penny and Mike. You've got the diagram of the two cliffs, and we have prevenient grace where we're over here. And God begins to help us understand that we're sinners. 
We then move over here where we understand his saving grace and we're justified in atonement all in that moment when we understand and give up and say, God, I'm a sinner. I don't have it all together. I believe in you. Help me. It's that initial work that then leads us to the saving, after the saving grace over here where we begin to then grow in grace and sanctification, which leads us in holiness and further growth in grace. There's no once and done. There, there's no, I accepted Christ and I'm done. Uh, there's no, I was baptized as an infant and done. We are called to grow in God's grace. It's, in a, it's a lifelong work. You know, we believe that when it comes to education and we say, man, you know, be a lifelong learner. Always seek to learn. But yet for some reason in our spiritual lives, we're, we're quick to believe the lie that, hey, I've got hell insurance and that's all I need. We're called to grow in God's grace. Understand the channels by which we learn the prayer, searching scripture and the Lord's Supper and understand the expressions of which grace functions towards us through provenient grace, saving grace, sanctifying grace, and glorification grace. Glory grace, right? All right. God, we love you. We just thank you for this depth of grace. It's, it's hard, even in those four elements of trying to give the functions of grace, it's not all there because there's grace that comes to us through your, your supper. There's the, how saving grace can work in those means of, of people who have come to a point of, of, uh, of even coming to the Lord's supper and not fully having given up to you. And that can be a means of saving grace and sanctifying grace. I've seen those who have worked through that way. I, I've seen those who have come to the, the pool of baptism, which just is water and, and without you is just getting wet, but yet they come up different because in that moment, it was their means of sanctification that they realized their focus needed to be on you, not on the sin and death that surrounds us and so easily entangles us, as Paul says later, but that we focus on you and the work that you have done in our hearts and in our lives to grow us more and more. May we not lose sight of that. May we remember those channels. May we want to pray more. May we want to learn more about you through scripture first and then through other works and means of, of scholarship and those who are writing about you and commentaries and Bible studies but God, it begins with your scriptures. And may we grow through that channel of the Lord's Supper. Of remembering with awe and wonder the work that you did for us. The plan A that wasn't plan B. It wasn't we had messed it up so much as humans that you had to make a plan B. It was That was the plan before the beginning of time. Save us. Thank you, Lord, for what you did to break the curse of sin and death through your death and then to give us the power of your Holy Spirit and the power for glorification and these means of grace through your resurrection. Lord, we love you. Continue to help our faith seek understanding in you. May you get all the praise and glory in this memorial day. May we remember those who sacrificed and how that is just a 
small glimpse of the sacrifice that you made for us. One individual's death didn't give us freedom as a nation. Countless lives purchased that freedom. But how great the death of your son, Jesus, who by his death purchased salvation and freedom for all humans, all times, everywhere, if we just come and believe. May we realize that magnitude to lead us in more awe and wonder of you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Go in peace. Have a wonderful rest of the afternoon.